Welcome one and all to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of Last Stop Penn Station. Ian Riccoboni, our guest of honor, Carrie Silken, AJ from Basan Creative and Web Design. Carrie, we're going to keep this brief because we have our first guest ever on Last Stop Penn Station. Yeah, and it was a surprise. It all, ha- it all transpired within the last 24 hours, but I reached out to our good friend, Bushwhacker Luke Williams, Ring of Honor alumnus. Right, twice, right? More, More than, than twice, yeah. yeah. He's made a number of appearances and uh, team with Cheeseburger in Philadelphia, as well as Grizzly Redwood. There you go. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, um, Luke is uh, has seven decade career. Wow. And he shares some very interesting stories. <laughs> some of it about wrestling, but a lot of road stories and some of these amazing characters, ranging from Jim Barnett. To Sky Lolo. <laughs> Dino Andre. Bravo. Right. Andre and, the Giant. Right. So many. And uh, so uh, that that's really cool. We needed something. I needed something to spice up the uh, last stop. Let, let me, if I could say it right. The last stop Penn Station show. Yeah. And it definitely did the trick. Um, real quick. Uh, Ring of Honor. There's uh, so much going on, uh, particularly July 11th. Right. The first show back, we're in Baltimore. And mm-hmm. it's, it has a new name, I noticed. The it, UMBC Event Center is now. I think the Chesapeake Bank uh, yes. Arena. Yeah. And the fans are coming back. They are. Great ticket sales up front from the Honor Club pre-sale. So we want to thank everybody that's bought a pod so far. If you're not an Honor Club member, it's worth it. You get a $10 discount per ticket. So if you buy, by the time you buy a ticket, you've you've got your month's worth. And there's still time still before time the ahead. public sale, which I think yeah. it's June 7th. Right. So you still got time to get in and get the best seat available for your group. We're coming in enhanced safety precautions with the state of Maryland. That's state of Maryland rule. And we're Ring of Honors in Maryland because that's our home. And we've been doing the production there so nice through the uh, pandemic that we want to just go with what's working right now. It's going to be so nice to have fans back. It's going to be incredible. We, I just, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. So do I. Yeah. It's exciting. You know, it's, it's, we're going on almost a year and a half. Mm -hmm. That's about, it's going to be almost exactly a year and a half. So we're coming back July 11th with a pay-per-view, no less. Best in the world. And we have survival of the fittest coming up. And I'd imagine whoever wins that was going to end up on the pay-per-view. And, uh, you know, Roosh is the world champion. Uh, the foundation, they defended the tag team titles this past week. I saw that. So I'm assuming they're going to head into the, the pay-per-view with the titles. Tony Deppin's the TV champ, but he's has an open challenge. So he may or may not end up at the pay-per-view with the title. And uh, things are getting hot and heavy with the women's division. We have the women's division Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Maserati versus Angelina Love this week. 
great bout. Maserati, if you haven't seen her before, she's one of Kenny King's protégés from Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, I haven't seen her before, so I definitely want to check that out. Absolutely. So just a lot of great things happening. Uh, World famous CB versus Fred Yehai is coming up. And he was over at my house this weekend, Carrie. Fred Yehai? No, no. Well, he's welcome. <laughs> Fred can come over too, but CB. I saw Fred Yehai on Monday night. Yeah, defeated Rocky Romero. In a really good match. Great match, absolutely. But uh, I know what CB was doing at your house. Why don't you tell the listeners in case they don't know? Sure. On uh, Saturday evening at 10 o'clock, it was the one-year anniversary of Hannah Kimura's passing. And we lost Hannah uh, due to really relentless bullying and relentless attacks on her. Uh, 22-year-old woman, very successful, one of the few women that wrestled in Madison Square Garden and the Tokyo Dome. The list is very short. I believe it's seven long. Uh, and she did that before she even turned 22. She was 22 when she passed away. And Sumi Sakai had reached out. I know Kyoko, Hana's mother. Kyoko had wrestled in Ring of Honor. Uh, Hana had wrestled extensively in Ring of Honor as well. And we were able to have a setup in my house. I bought a little uh, USB mixer. I bought two production quality microphones, put them through a little mixer, bought some $10 headphones for me and CB. And we, the first, as far as mine, as far as I know, the first ever live broadcast from Allentown to Corican Hall uh, in English. And uh, it was just a beautiful event. She had her favorite wrestlers, her favorite DJ, her favorite uh, idol group, as, as they're called. They're essentially these pop groups. She had her former idol group that she was a part of there. Uh, she had her favorite wrestlers, her best friends. Two of her best friends came out of retirement, Kagetsu and Hazuki, and wrestled in the, in the main event. Uh, there was the first ever non-binary wrestler uh, who doesn't identify with any gender, also in the main event. I, there was a guy, my favorite thing, it was a night where we tried to keep it light and we tried to keep it happy in honor of her memory. Uh, lingerie Mudo. He's a wrestler that, that has a great Mudo mask and head skull cap on, but he just wears like seven bras and women's underwear. And he's a lot God of fun. He's a lot of fun. It was, a, a, I didn't watch it live. I'm embarrassed to say, but it is available on fight TV, on fight TV. All the proceeds go to Kyoko in support. Of, oh, I'm going to uh, definitely check it out. And yeah. it's, I'm sure it was it was a hard, uh, tough to uh, call this, you know, because there's the emotion involved and to try to, as you just said, to keep it light mm -hmm. over such a heavy duty incident. But uh, we love you, Hana, and yeah. uh, uh, you're always will always be remembered and. I'm sure there'll be another one next year. Yeah, and it was it was something special. Uh, Kyoko, her mom, really held it together. Uh, really admirable, and um, you know, Kyoko was the driving force behind this. And what was really heartwarming was there was I think I counted 43 wrestlers. There were 17 promotions represented between the commentary, the referees, and the wrestlers. Were there fans in attendance? There were. Okay. And this event, at the last minute, because of Japanese restrictions, because the COVID cases were rising, uh, was almost canceled with, within two weeks before the event. But they decided to keep it on the books. They decided to see how COVID played out. Thankfully, the cases went back down. The restrictions were lifted. Um, it was limited capacity. Uh, so, you know, it's sold out, however many tickets there were uh, sold out. But um, it was certainly an event that that I'll always remember. And there were 17 companies represented in the card itself. 
there's an additional five or six more in the videos. How long was the show? It was about three hours. Okay. Uh, we had we had three matches that were scheduled, and then we had a bonus main event. Uh, we had Venny, who's uh, the gender, yeah, gen- non-gender uh, wrestler. She's known as Asuka in Japan, but not the Asuka in the United right. States. Uh, and she faced uh, Kagetsu, who came out of retirement. And uh, that was the bonus match as the fourth bout. But uh, there was messages from Ring of Honor, AEW, Impact wrestlers, WWE wrestlers, uh, Diana Stardom, did six six six. You name the uh, Ice Ribbon. You name the promotion. DDT. They were in the the end of the video. Noah, all Japan. Um, you know Kenny Omega. The, from the, the headline to the headline, uh, Great Muda, uh, Liger. You name it. They were in the video and. Uh, you know, she touched so many people's lives, I think, more than she'll ever know or ever knew. And it's all going to a great cause. Mm-hmm. It's sad things have to be this way sometimes. But yeah, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing it. And uh, once again, it's on Fight TV. Anyone mm-hmm. who hasn't seen it. Uh, and thank you, Mike Weber, who made that yes. painless and effortless to be able to air it and do the commentary like that. Right on. Um, real quick. Uh, we're continuing on with the 55 and 5, the Parker series. Yeah. On uh, ad free shows, along with the poster of the week, we have a real good one this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Women's Division Wednesdays. Yeah. With Ring of Honor, as well as the Monday Night Watch Party. Absolutely. We've got a bonus match this week Sledge taking on uh, O'Shea Edwards, two of the big young heavy hitters Ooh. in Ring of Honor. A bonus match, YouTube exclusive. Okay. And Chris Dickinson just. Absolutely wrecked poor Eric Martin this week on week by week. I don't know. You blinked and you missed that one. Eric, uh, oh, it was quick. It was quick. And uh, Dickinson's a Dickinson's a pit bull. Yes, I, I I bumped into him. I met I saw him in Florida. And then when I was in Baltimore, I just walked by and just got to say hello to him real quick. But uh, I'm looking forward to going back to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to... Uh, the summer, you know, the weather is finally changing. Yeah. And uh, so let's enjoy this time. And uh, without any further ado, let's go to this interview with our good friend, Luke Williams. And we'll see you next week. There's a very special moment here on Last Stop Penn Station. For the very first time, we have a guest, Carrie. A very special guest and a good friend of mine. And you know what? Sometimes I say to myself, Man, I'm an old son of a bitch. But then I think of my friend Luke. I was thinking, <laughs> hey, I was thinking Luke. I was thinking today, wait, he wrestled in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and you you made it into this decade. You were in Tennessee recently. Seven yeah. decades in the ring. Incredible. And what a career. And what a good friend. And with that, I'm going to shut up. And we have Luke Williams with us. And so you have the dinosaur. And so, you, so, Kerry, you have the dinosaur aboard. aboard. <laughs> and I, I, a former Ring of Honor. A, Ring of Honor star. I, I first met Luke when he was at Field of Honor in New York City. And Luke, I don't know if you remember, I was the, the gentleman hanging out with you, walking around, showing you where to go that night at the uh, baseball stadium. We we hung out on the concourse and watched a little bit. Oh, yeah. I met so many different guys with Kerry, you know, and I'm getting old. So, you know, 
<laughs> oh, I get it. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I remember you, uh, uh, you did the bushwhacker uh, around the bases. The great, great moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said to Kerry last week, it was all potatoes, no filet mignon. He's referring to our podcast. We did like the, uh, <laughs> there, once again, there was no meat, right? Usually we had some. Uh, you teased it. You yeah. teased it about the sex. You teased it about the sex, but you've been teasing it for two weeks. Right. Well, maybe we could get to some of that right now. <laughs> but no, there's there's so many questions. Or so you know, and I I've spent so much time with Luke. Luke is not only one of my good friends, but is sort of a mentor for me in the wrestling business, who I met in Puerto Rico. And I've heard I've heard these stories. And I'm sure many of them he's tired of telling. But I was telling Ian, got to go back to the beginning, you know, going from New Zealand, which was the which was the very beginning, but going over to Australia with Jim Barnett. And you told me this story about the first time you walked in the dressing room. And I think it was Mark Lewin and King Curtis. And what, what was going on? Yeah. Hey, that that was the first time that I went to Australia and worked for WCW. Jim Barnett owned it, owned it at WCW, as he did in the States. And um, I walked in the dressing room. I was early. My first time over there. And, that, and you know the old locker rooms with the big, long wooden benches and the steel lockers behind them? Well, there's one on that side and one on this side. And... <laughs> and and I, 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 I knew. How, I old, how old were you at this point? This time, this time, six. Could be around 20. Okay, so you walk in this dressing room. 19, 19. It was 66 or six, 66. Okay. So tell us about King Curtis. I'm going to walk in the dressing room. This is a Sydney show. The first, my, my first night on a Friday night, and I walk into the locker room, and there's Mark on one side of the bench, and there's King Curtis on the other bench, and they had their John Thomases out, <laughs> and they had and they had the eyes and the and the nose and Mark. They took used a marker and made it into a head, and one was talking to the other, <laughs> one was talking across their back and forth, and I I walked in. I was embarrassed, you know what I mean? They just carried on in that. They were they were fine. <laughs> so this was before the era when you walked in the dressing room and you had to shake hands with everybody. <laughs> no, there was no one in the dressing room at this time. Okay. So that was your introduction to, the, to that dressing room. Yeah, There's yeah. Guys they said, they, There's no shaking hands or anything. I just looked at me and I said, you know, kid or something or other. I can't can't remember. We do. We just threw a few words at each other, and then and then and then um, then I sat down over the side there. Or you know, I went for a walk, and I come back, and I said, "This is to me, this is fucked up." Half an hour later, I went out and looked in the arena. And you couldn't get another person in the arena. Wow. It was they hot. had a rocking. They had a rocking. And of course, you know, 
Curtis Iakia, King Curtis, he was selling out Madison Square Gardens sure. in the early 70s. Him and Mark, I think they were the youngest, and they were selling out places. You know, they were two great pieces of talent. I, you I, and had a, I saw you and had a brother. In the early 70s against Pedro Morales at the Garden, and he was blood and guts. He was, you know, he was hardcore and and rough and tough before they even, you know, before hardcore was a word. You talking about Curtis Iakia? Yes, I am. Yeah, he was not known as King Curtis then. He was Curtis Iakia, chief, chief or prince, prince, and his and Lewin had a brother, a, a brother there used to wear a mask. Okay. And he worked there too for Vince Senior. So getting back real quick to Australia, uh, there's so many stories about Jim Barnett. Ian, Ian's a good historian. Uh, we don't need to tell Luke, but tell our listeners about Jim Barnett quickly. Sure. He very well uh, politically connected in the United States, and he was a big mega donor for the Democratic Party. Uh, he used a lot of those connections to promote wrestling and get venues and get buildings. Uh, but he successfully, before any of that, ran Australia. He ran. But he opened it, up Australia. He opened up Australia, yeah. And and Luke, those those houses, you said it was rocking. You couldn't get anybody else in. That was like that. Yes, he opened up. He came over there. And then the roller derby was on in Australia. And, that, and it was doing good. Now, I guess it would only been on, see, a year or so. And it was doing good. He and it was a great time start. He bought out the roller derby. Oh wow! That's how he got in. Bought out the roller. There's only four. There was only four television stations in Australia, and or five. And you know, Australia, the land masses as big as North America. But this is going back in the sixties. So you know, were you guys flying city to city? You had to, right? Bigger pardon? Were you flying from city to city? Yes. You know, New Zealand, we never had TV to 67 in New Zealand. And it started at 3 in the afternoon and finished at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. Now, Australia, at that time, Australia was 20 years ahead of us or 15 years ahead of us. And, of course, U.S. was another 15 or 20 years ahead of that. But when in 65... That's when the um, the Vietnam War was going, and all the people from Vietnam were coming, all the soldiers, 18 years old, 20 years old, coming down to Australia for hour and hour. So King's Cross, where he kept the boys, the boys stayed in Texas Tavern. This place was alive 24-7. What, they were partying? There was a lot of partying going on? Well, <laughs> 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 well first night. Well, the second night, and that I was, I'm there. Then next minute, there's a knock on my door. There's a phone call first, and there's a knock on my door. One of the boys that called me, I'm not going to mention his name. That's he's still right. alive. Oh, and he called me, and there's a and there's a girl out there with a fucking sheet around her body. She she was sent down to take care of me. Oh, jeez, <laughs> that's nice. They looked after. The boys were looked after there. It was the the hotel was the Texas Tavern, owned by a Texan. He had a restaurant and and the, and you know the bar would close about five or four or five in the in the morning. And at seven thirty, you go for breakfast. Eight o'clock, 
and they had a, a band playing in the breakfast room. This place, King's Cross, the hookers, you can look out of my hotel window, and at 8 o'clock, you see the old hookers go in from the night shift, and the fresh ones come out 8 o'clock in the morning. And all these servicemen were coming to Australia with $1,000. You know what I mean? The average wage... The average wage is one even a hundred a week, and that and these guys are coming down with a thousand to spend in a week while they're in Australia. So, drugs, sex, and that was wide open. King's Cross. We could talk about Australia for this whole time. Absolutely. One last thing, because I want to just move on. You just told you told me a funny story where, like, maybe uh, once a week, Jim Barnett would do the payouts, and he would have the meeting. The meeting, tell us about the week meeting, and and everybody knows that Jim Barnett was openly gay. Mm -hmm. He was a feminine. He was accepted by everybody. And I'll let Luke take. He would have a meeting once a week with all the boys. With all the with all the American flyers, not the Australians. Okay, and and he and he counted us as flyers. Now Jim Barnett was a dapper. Most expensive suits, JB on the. On the pocket here, you know, JB, it'd have a handkerchief in there with his initials, cufflinks with JB on, alligator shoes, Rolex or Patty Philippe watch, you know, and he was a little dapper, you know, and he would sit up on the bench. There was a like a massage bench with a pad. He would sit up there with his legs folded under him, and he would sit on his legs. And the meeting would start, and he'd go around the boys, you know, all the Americans, you'd have about 10 there. And he would know, is, did Kathy take care of you in Melbourne, Jim? And he would go to someone else, you know, say, Mark, how was Debbie, Mark, in um, Adelaide? He knew he was making sure that all the boys got taken care of because down Australia, guys would pack up and go home. It's a long way away. And he'd fly them down so he made sure they had their drugs, and they're bloody, um, and has someone taking care of them. And every town, or most towns, and Big Bad John was a drug dealer. And he used to say to John, <laughs> Big John, have you got my pennies, John? <laughs> every meeting, speed, you know, the little pennies. He, was, that was speed, he always took speed and that. And, um, and then he would say, oh, boys, I don't know where I left my briefcase. Any boys know is that I left it in the other locker room? The the bitch the briefcase is right under him. And another one of the boys, oh Jim, and I get up, I'll get it for you. And he bends down in front of Jim, and Jim would be looking at his tail, and all the boys giving the boys the wing. <laughs> he was the worker. It's <laughs> amazing stuff. Um, it, there's so much to cover here, but. I know when you left Australia, um, what was it? You couldn't get a visa for the U.S., so you went to Montreal instead? I don't know that full story, mate. But when he came back, he had to get out, out of Australia. I'm talking about you. When you left Australia, instead of going to U.S., you went to... Uh, the, no, no, we were booked. And it was, I, I worked back in New Zealand. I was going to Australia and back just for two weeks at a time. Okay. And then... And then when we, the, the uh, New Zealand promoter, Steve Rickard, knew Butcher Bichon and Morris, and he talked to them. And then th th they're the two guys 
Mad Dog Vachon and Butcher Vachon, they're the guys that brought us over to North America. So there you are in Montreal, right? Montreal. And, and we're not knowing, not knowing that there's 60 guys in this territory or 70, and they're running three towns a night. Imagine this. Yeah. Three towns a night in 1970, the best shots. Go ahead. This was, this was, I didn't know till later that this was the hotbed of wrestling. Toronto was sold out, and uh, the gardens were sold out all the time. And that, and um, there was, there were the Vachons. Grand Prix was running three towns a night, and the Rougeos were running one or two towns a night. And this was Ontario and Quebec. Now, Butch and me had worked with Andre. He'd been in New Zealand 69. Really? And Butch and me worked with him in, in, in single matches, handicap matches, and tag matches for two, two months. So when we got over there, he was the main baby face. He'd come into Montreal a half a year before us. And that's why it exploded. And the main heel was Killer Kowalski, who we knew from Australia. Killer was the main heel in Australia. You know, when I first went there, he's the one that popped it wide open for Jim Barnett. Really? With the, with the claws. I don't want to get into that story, but that's another story how he did that. Barnett, you know, and, and good. he always had great bookers around him. And Mark was Mark Lewin had a great brain for this stuff. So when you were in Montreal and you're with Andre the Giant, right? Now he's becoming he's not Andre the Giant yet, though. He's I mean his, his name Gene Free. Gene Free. Right. So you you're on the I remember you telling me a story once where you were on the road where you guys went to some town, I don't know, 250 mile trip. And what was it Frank Valois? Wasn't and, uh, Frank Bauer was Andre's uh, manager. He was a Frenchman from, from France, too. Now, we're way up. We're about eight hours out of um, Montre Montreal. We went up there for a week, and there was Andre and um, Dominic Danucci okay. and, but and Butch and me. And, and, and I think, yeah, and Butch and me. And there was another crew up there they had. You know, this was right up Hudson Bay area. Oh, okay. Hudson Bay, way up there. You know what I mean? So and, uh, these road trips, was there drinking on the road? <laughs> this is what I'm gonna get. So, so we finished the tour. We finished the tour. It was only a week tour, this one, because we and we're coming back to the head office to Montreal. And uh, Andre and Frank bought 72 cans of beer. You know, to start. Two and a half hours later, we have to pull over at a truck stop to get more beer for them. Me and Butcher in the, me and Butcher in the back seat. Val was driving and me and Butch and that. So we and that so we get out first and we've got blonde hair and black beards. Right? And 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 as um the, all the colleges are at it was either summer or spring break. Okay. I think it was summer. And these kids got out of a Volkswagen and they saw us and they were thinking that, you know, they're calling us the pet. To pet. To pet is faggots. Okay. Oh, geez. Yeah, faggot in French. Now, 
we we we've been in Montreal for a while. We knew the, the we knew the bad words, but we walked in and that there was a big truck stop with a diner on one side, you know, and then all the truck shit and the showers and all that stuff. And then we go to the dining park. So the other kids come in and they go in into the park where there's all the other shit. And we go on the bar to get a quick snack. You know, this is about two in the morning. Right. Andre gets out of the car. He goes over to that Volkswagen. He listens to what they're calling and all the shit. He goes over there and grabs that Volkswagen on its side and tips it up onto its side. Now, Andre then was about 425 and as you know, two, seven foot two or four, and as strong as an ox. He went down into a squat position and lift, boom. That's it. He put that fucking car on his side. This is the car that the kids were in who were yelling. Who yeah. Were, okay. Wow. That's, a, that's one a, of those old Volkswagens. You know those old Volkswagens? Sure, the bug. The bug. The bug. The bug. <laughs> yeah, the bug. And I bet. Yeah, I'm, that was Andre. Andre. He got another 72 <laughs> beers. We got put your meat on the sandwich and then got in the car. And I don't even think I made it back until we didn't even make it back to. Andre was two gulps to a can. Wow. His hand, his hand was notorious. I don't know whether. I think, I think uh, Kerry's got the photos. Right. Yeah, I think got a photo. There's a notorious photo that George took with two girls on each right. shoulder. You know oh, that yeah. picture. Yeah. Uh, our good that, friend George. And that's in Japan, that's in England, that's in Germany. That photo's all over the world. Well, that's really good stuff. Now I, I gotta mention in Montreal was the uh this was besides the business being so good, wasn't there uh Quite a great group uh, of the uh, the midget wrestlers back then that were based out of Montreal. Yes, but the story I've got with about the midgets that that comes from Stu Hart's territory. Well, right. in, in Montreal, in Montreal, I'm with the Hollywood Blondes. Now there's Dale Roberts, Jerry Brown, I think he and, and Humperdinck. Humperdinck was the manager from Florida. Okay. These guys were wild. These I'm talking about wild, wild. You know, going to a bar, they would drink at a table and that and a snack all the beers and cans up on a table. They wouldn't put them into a dumpster and they'd have a pyramid on the table. When they went to leave, they'd bump the table and walk out and the glass and the things would go all over the place. These guys then they come out on the street and one would get in front of a car. It didn't matter whose car it was, and Jerry would, and Buddy would run at him, and Jerry would backdrop him onto the horn, and the horn get bent. They didn't give a fuck. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, they were wild. Anyhow, so well, this is how they were on the road. And there's a lot of stories to tell them throwing rabbits out of and chairs and furniture out of six stories onto three loads three lanes of traffic and the chairs bouncing off the roof of cars on Mason off Ave. It's the second biggest street in, in Montreal. St. Catherine runs this way with about oh, St. Catherine. St. Catherine is the main street. 
yeah. to the businesses and the Mason Old Friends Parallel and that, but it's got two or three lanes and they used to get furniture and throw it out of the balcony and laugh behind highest tide to watch it bounce off roofs of cars. Oh my God. So they had nothing on the Who, you know, right. these stories <laughs> about the Who and Led Zeppelin with, with uh, going wild, these hotel rooms. So the Hollywood Blondes <laughs> might have been the forerunners to that. But uh, it, now here's a, here's a road story, quick short one. I don't know whether we should, you should put earplugs into Ian's ears or not, because he he was a sex um, therapist or whatever. We've got to take him down the road, the, the right road. You know, the, the gravel, the gravel road, the rough road. Okay, we're on over, over there in the summertime when it comes to spring break, there's kids with a placard on the side, you know, um, with the town they want to go to. And some of these towns are 2,000, 3,000 miles. They're hitchhiking home for the holidays. Wow. You know, across Canada, Canada is, is you know, like it's from New York to L.A., mm -hmm. right? Maybe a bit wider. These, and we never seen signs like this. I looked at a sign on a kid. And it, and it had the town. And I said, that's not near here. And they told me, oh, no, he's hitching 2,000 miles. Oh, anyhow, wow. they pick up this. I'm in the back of this car, and that, and they've got um, Jerry, uh, the butcher mayor, and it was in a van or whatever. Anyhow, it's Jerry and Dale, the, the two Hollywood blondes. Right. And um, I think Humperdinck used to get a ride with some people else. Because we live next door to them in a, in, a, in a hotel next to the blondes. So they pick up and stuff, and they, they picked up the hitchhiker this time, and we were there, and we get down the road, and, and of course, Buddy pulls out his John Thomas in front of the person, and oh. the person is freaking out when he get out the door. And Jerry leans over and says, he can't, you know, you, know, you haven't got the crank right, and he starts cranking it for him. Oh, <laughs> and the passengers like this were wanting to jump out. And he's driving; they're driving at sixty or maybe eighty miles an hour. Now, wow. now the Hollywood Blondes. Just to make it clear, these weren't these guys weren't gay. They're just doing this as a rib on this. These kids. Oh, jeez! I'm glad I, I don't know if I would have survived, Luke. This is all. Uh, <laughs> this is all pretty. No, the rib. The ribs got so bad, mate. In towns between the Hollywood Blondes and the Vachons, Morris used to wear a suit all the time. That's Even Mad Dog, right? Huh? Morris is Mad Dog Vachon, right? Yeah, he used to wear a suit to the towns. And then, and if it was ice sometimes, he'd be in a suit and bare feet on the bloody ice. Wow. Morris is a bit like this. Okay. But he was, in the, he was in the Empire Games. You know, Morris was a Mad Dog, was a medal winner. An amateur wrestler, he could fucking tie people up. And he would, Morris was, how heavy, Kerry, 220, 225. Yeah. He wasn't a big man, was he? No, he's probably like my height. And, you know, but he was, he was, uh, he was stocky and built. Hairy. Muscle. Very hairy. Very hairy. <laughs> he wasn't big. He was just thick. Maybe 220, that's what he was, 25, 225. But he didn't give up F, mate. And um, the ribs between the the, the, um, the Hollywood blondes and the Vashans got so hot, 
This time they cut the leg off Morris's trouser, the suit trouser. So when he went to put his leg in after showering, the fucking thing was just hanging on the middle part here. And this was, you know, Morris, he was owner of the territory, part owner. These seats, these suits weren't cheap. So the next night, the blondes had Halliburton's case, Halliburton cases. You know what Halliburton's are? Yeah, the briefcase. The aluminium one. The briefcase is only this size, like that, and that's about 600. The little cases we used to carry our gear in, I don't know how much they are now. Anyhow, they got the combination on the front. So next night, the blondes are there, and um, they've got the Halliburton's in their gear. They take the gear out, and they're on in the ring. Fucking Morris comes with a hammer and a big six-inch nail with a flat head, takes all the gear out and nails that thing to the bench and bends and bends the bottom over. So they can't and and that and um and puts all the gear back in. <laughs> of course, when Dale comes back to bring to that showers and that and, and goes to pick his case up off there. <laughs> and the nail the nail underneath has been bent over. But the dash odds have already gone. <laughs> he had to rip the case. He had the aluminium. He had to rip the aluminium to get the case free. The case was fucked. <laughs> Good stuff. You know, but that that was an eight hundred eight hundred buck case for six hundred dollars at the time. You know what I mean? So and this it was, was it was like tit for tat. Even though it was the boss, it was yeah. it was just they accepted it, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Morris Morris was crazy. You know, I see them. A fan leaned over the rail in Quebec City, went to hit him. He grabbed a hand and 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 bit on the finger and ripped the flesh off. The flesh hung off the end of the finger, Ooh. the bone, the flesh. That's how vicious Morris was. Couldn't, couldn't do that these days. No. <laughs> hey, can I can I uh, lean on you to give us because you were close with the great sky low low. Now we're in, now now the next territory after that. Hey, you guys say something. <laughs> how, how can we say? We get the greatest list. But uh, I am going to say something. A little bit. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there a guy, and Ian and I learned this uh, with during all our talk, the guy, uh, there was one guy sort of in charge of all the, the midget wrestlers. Am I Jack, Jack Britton. Okay, yeah. Jack Britton, he ran all the the midgets up in Canada, and that, and there's a lot of them. You know, Fenchley Lamont, the crazy guy, had died, jumped out the window in Calgary with all the sheets and that, but he landed, he tried to hang himself, but he landed on this, uh, one of the, where the, um, where the stairway comes outside, and there was a landing. He landed oh, two, floors, two floors down, the sheets and that, he, that saved him. Anyhow, so we're in the next territory. We went to there. We didn't even know who Stu Hart was. We never heard of Stampede. And they told us, you know, we could stay. We have to start putting people over. But they said, we're going to keep you strong and bring you back. So after a year and a half, we went to Calgary. <laughs> and after a while there, we came in. Oh, we did get into the dungeon? Yeah, we went to the dungeon. But one thing about it. We won the belts the first weekend we were in there. Wow. Okay. We worked the TV on a Friday night in the pavilion. There was three and a half thousand there. 
is Sunday, three times a year or twice a year, Stu ran the, the um, a double shot. We work every time Saturday, and then on Sunday we come back and do the the uh, corral, which was in the same fairgrounds as the pavilion. Now the corral now is the um, the big place where they do all the pay per views at. Um, what's the big place in in in? It's, it's, it's on the end of my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. stamping. It has a name, but they, yeah. Yeah, anyhow, anyhow. So, anyhow, I'm in the territory of that. We win it the third night. Anyhow, getting to the story. On a Sunday afternoon, the kids run the towns. Now, Dean's dead now, but Dean was the second to oldest. And and Smith, the oldest. Smith is dead too. He died from cancer two years ago. God bless him. But he, he never worked a day in his life. (laughs) <laughs> he caught. Yeah. He around Ring of Honor before you were there. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, wow. I could tell you stories about Smith locking girls in the sauna, turning up the heat to 120, and standing outside. And oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm <sorry>. Anyhow, <laughs> town, and we and we've got it's summertime. And we've got midgets and we've got girls. Okay. And those are big attractions, right? Those are uh, the, the the little people and the girls, they were big draws. They were big No, no, no. We had normal sized girls from Moolah. Oh, right, right. But in general, normal sized girls from Moolah. And we had we had Sky Lolo and Little Beaver. He swished around everywhere. Okay. Oh my with, that with that mohawk and those big lutz, ready to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, tag match. <laughs> the Smith, Smith or Dean told them, told, told Sky Lolo, these guys were magic. I don't know whether you heard about these two, but there's no one ever been like that era with Mitchens. These were circus Mitchens who could walk along the top rope. They could stand on their heads. Not like the midgets today who want to work like men. Anyhow, they're doing the old spot where Sky Lolo, where, where Little Beaver does something to Sky Lolo, and that when he's from behind, Sky Lolo turns around and chases him. And, and there's a girl in the ring. <laughs> Little Beaver goes between the girl's legs, and usually the, the heel puts the brakes on right before the when she comes to the girl. The girl's the baby face, just right. like our little beaver, the baby face. But this night, Sky Lolo went between the legs and he had a he had a, had a hatchet in his hand and hit her right up in the crutch. Mm. And that now this female wrestler, I can't think of a name in a moment, had a beige suit on. Those days they used to wear one piece suits. You understand what I'm talking about? You know, the old swimming suits, one piece. That's how the girls used to work, mm-hmm. you know, before they started the diva ships. And um, so he hit her right up in the side. Ne- next minute, it's getting red there. Redder and redder oh, no. and redder. Right under here. Now, the fans are starting to laugh because they think she's got the period in the middle of the match. Oh, and, no. that, and that, and that. Uh, and then the other girl, the other girl told her, look down there, and it's bright red. It's bright red as hell. 
Beaver must run. I mean, Skylaro must have went through a bit of the material and hit the leg, you know, through the material. And in the heat of the moment, she didn't realize it. You know what I mean? When yeah. you're hot and someone goes between your legs like that, because you've got your legs apart for them to run through, and that they don't, you don't realize it at the time. So he wasn't, wasn't really looking, he wasn't really looking to hurt her. Huh? He wasn't really looking to hurt her. No, no, it was a rib. Right. Oh the God. ribs, the ribs are not like today, pussy ribs. These are rib ribs. Well, I got, I got one for you. I'm going to skip ahead. Uh, yeah, anyhow, just let me finish this. So sure. we, we drive back to bloody, um, this is, there's so many ribs happened in this territory. <laughs> the was the, the heavy ones. Anyhow, we get back to the hotel room, and me and Butch, Butch is in one, and there's a bar, and that next minute the phone goes, what the fuck is going on? I've had Moolah. I've had, this is Stu. I've had Moolah on the phone uh, at, uh, with me for the last half an hour. What's going on? Because he knows that, it's either, he knows that Smith or, or that guy, Stu tries to make out he doesn't like Riff, but he, he, he knew what was going on with the Suns all the time. There was ribs where the, the, some of the ribs, the guys, just packed their bags and left overnight. The ribs were so heavy. You know what I mean? Next day, the card would be, and then and we'd have to say, oh, Stu, the guy's not here. He packed his bags during the night because he got ribs heavy the night before. If you if you thought you were smart or you, you were just shit, the boys would rib you straight away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, diff different world. Uh Drop Coke. Put little satchets like coke in your thing, get cops to pull you over, Jesus and all that Christ. rest of the stuff. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, one last thing about the uh, stampede area with Stu Hart. He, he had the famous dungeon where he used to take these guys and even guys that were working, mm -hmm. you know, who would come into the territory and, you know, stretch them. Everyone's heard of them. Now, did someone smarten you you and you and Butch up? Yeah. Uh, yeah, if we heard about the dungeon, you know, we the hearts loved us. The kids loved us and that. And, and, that, and uh, Stu used to invite us up to dinner on a Sunday, lunchtime. You heard about the cat shit where he scraped up threw the food in, and that scraped the catch it up, threw it there, and scooped the egg up and put it on a plate. Oh. <laughs> and you, heard the, you heard that one, right? I yeah. have heard that. You, you love big guys, like Sailor White, Moondog, the Moondogs, right. guys like that, big guys. Jim the Anvil Nighter, he, would get, get, he wouldn't take the hole. He would tell you to get on your hands and knees. He would put the hold on. And they tell you to fight out of it. Now, Stu was very thick at the hips. Big legs, big thighs, and wide at the hip. You know, he's about 270. And that, so when you've got that thickness there, like George Gordianko and a lot of those, you know, uh, wrestlers back in those days, and and, and um, what was the black guy? Sailor Thomas? Yes. You know, they were thick. And that, that was, he had a photo of Sailor Art in his wallet. You heard, I guess you heard that story. He carried that guy around. But they were, he used to get them and tell them to fight out. And um, these guys used to stew, stew. They go, eh, eh, stew. And their eyes, the veins would either pop in their eyes 
or they would shit their pants. This, wow. was, this was what he put on, put on, because he wanted to check that they were men. Yeah, you see their vein, they get off the thing, they'd be sweating, they'd be dripping off them, and their eyes were like road mats, or they they pooed their pants. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you never got uh well, I'm glad you got smartened up so that you didn't go down there because it sounds yeah. like nobody can handle this guy. You know, Brett, Brett to this day has still got tape. He's still got little tapes, you know, that he played and he used to play in the dressing room of his dad um, stretching somebody and he used to play it to the boys. <laughs> oh my God. You know, let the boys hear. You know, and the guy's screaming out, Stu, Stu, stop it. As Stu goes, eh, eh. <laughs> he was a sadist. He loves it. Uh, there's so much we could go. Uh, I don't want to. Be, I, I, go ahead. Ian. I got a rib question. There's a. Uh, you were at WrestleMania five, and you were against the Rougeaus, who yeah, you know from Montreal. <laughs> and you grabbed. You rubbed. You rubbed. I think Ray's pecker. <laughs> Was that? Did you do that just for? Did you save it for a special occasion, or was that? Did you do that after the horn? When he went to slam me, <laughs> I never knew that I was doing that at the time. But that's still circulating today. Yeah. Last week, last week, someone sent it to me. Right. It's like one of those TikTok style. <laughs> it's a meme or whatever the kids call it. Yeah, you're over. Was that? Was that? Yeah. Yeah, but I'm grabbing his. I'm grabbing his pack. And it's it's nice and gentle too. It's a nice. It's a nice pack. It's, it's, like it's a nice. I didn't song. even know. Hey, <laughs> were you trying hey, to? Play? Hey, hey, are you gonna spot? Are you gonna body slam Kerry now? Good idea. young man. Well, I want to jump. How much to, how I don't know. I didn't realize, hey, Ian, yeah. at that time, I didn't even realize it was just the heat of the moment. We're working. I didn't realize, and he never said anything to me. But, he, but, but now, when I see him, I hardly ever see him now. Him and his brother don't even talk. You know, uh, they haven't talked for, for 10 years. Uh, well, I talked to Carl. I talked to PCO, Carl Ouellette. Oh, uh, yeah. Kyle's a good guy. He is. Yeah. He's with Ring of Honor. Yeah, I talk to him too. I call him now and again, and I talk to him. I talked to him through Kerry once with Kerry, but um, I I had him in Puerto Rico with me, and we made some money with him. Awesome. You know, Kyle. Well, let, let's jump to Puerto, where I met Luke in Puerto Rico, which was around 2000. But what was the first year you went to Puerto Rico? 79. Or 80, 80. I, I, you know, I, I've heard these stories that the crowds were pretty wild in Puerto Rico. Yeah, well, you've been there and seen them, mate. Yeah, but I didn't, that was 20 years after. What was it like in, a, in that period, in, in the early 80s, in the ball? Well, well, you've heard of, you know, in um, Central San Juan, there's uh, Cardwas is about 20 miles, 10 miles out. There's Bayamon. There's different towns around there. Now, Cardwas, they had to put concrete blocks. The men's dressing room was downstairs where the fans could look into it with through the little holes in the concrete. They had to reload it with concrete blocks. Fans were shooting through there. 
Jesus. that pit through there and they actually put a gun there and shoot through there. The, the hills had heat. And I'm talking <laughs> about heat, heat. I've got slice marks. I've been to court twice with, and that. I got sliced on my arm by fans. You know what they do? They put razor blades in their hand, the, the razor blade with the, the solid side, you know, where it's got the covered side and it's only got one blade. And then they put them in the head and they slap you and they drag it and oh. they cut slice in that way. Well, you told me a story one time. I think it was on the other side of the island. It was in the 80s. And, of course, everyone knows Luke with the bushwhackers, but this is the sheep herders. We were the, Los about, the Los Pastores. Right, the Los Pastores. And, and talk about hardcore. Talk about blood and guts. And you can see these matches on YouTube, and they're legendary matches. But um, you told me a story. I forget what town it was. Somewhere on the West Coast, or maybe it was San Juan. But when you got where you and Butch got trapped... The dressing room was like a, uh, a trailer. The dressing room. Was no, no, you're talking. You're talking about in Trinidad. Okay. On a cricket pitch, and they put a special, made a special uh, dressing room for us. We we were fighting heels and baby faces, and they um we worked with the guy that used to come to the ring, um, Mighty Eagle. Okay, and the, and the champion on uh, and uh, and the champion in Trinidad at the time, yeah, and they made a dressing room for us out of car cases. You know, when cars come in in the big wooden boxes and those sides, they knocked one up there at, for us, anyhow. We're on a cricket pitch, which is like a baseball field, you right. know. The finish was wild and woolly. And um, we had to change it, get decooed, and get our way back to the ring and get ourselves out of the ring. The baby faces, we always had to get them to follow us out of the ring and fight us back. If we tried to go back to the, the dressing room by ourselves, the fans would come out and cut us off. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. And that, so the, the, of course, the security couldn't hold them back. And, that, and in Trinidad, it's not like Puerto Rico. There's, it's a British cops, the Bobbies, okay. with the nightstick, no guns. <laughs> you know how I mean? would you get out of there? How did you, how would you get out of the building? Okay, they, the baby faces brought us back to this so-called um, dressing room out of car cases. We had two folding tin chairs in there. What we did, we just, what we ever had to do, uh, sneakers and all that, and our clothing, we jammed into our case and, and that. While we're jamming our stuff in the case, they were bombarding the fucking makeshift um, dressing room and it was coming down on us. So they got a guy, one of the guys got a pickup truck to drive back into it and that, and all the people scattered. We jumped in the fucking back of the pickup truck into the seat with the driver, a butcher in the middle, and me on the side, and we took off. Now, a guy got a brick. Now, we took off. The ballpark is packed, so we're stuck in the fucking... We can't get out of the park, and that well, we're moving at five miles, an hour, five miles an hour. A guy got a brick and threw them through the back window, and all the glass came in, 
and embedded in the back of Butcher's head. He, oh. I was leaning forward when I heard the crash. I was on the side here, hit the middle of the back window, and all the glass went in. I got so, so wild that I jumped out of him, and I saw the guy. We're in now, we're in six lanes of traffic, three or two lanes this way, two lanes that way. He goes through there. I jumped over hoods of cars. He ran down the street and he went into one of these the, the hotels, not a major hotel, nice. like the, the private hotels, like boarding houses. He ran up through there and up the stairs. I ran through up the stairs and he went down the hallway and he went through one's bedroom and then it got on the staircase. I got around through the way. I went down to the alleyway, um, not the alleyway, down to the stairs, and I caught him on the, went to catch him on the staircase, and that, and we and we carried on. I missed him, and we carried on running like yeah, starskin huts, jumping over cars, diving over car vehicles, and that the bastard got away. Anyhow, I ended going back. We went back to the Holiday Inn. This was in Trinidad. Right in the in the main city part, um, what's it called? Whatever the main part with the airport is and that. And for the next, we got we got a six pack or beer beer and that while Butch was drinking. I was I had um, what I called tweezers and that, and I was taking pieces of glass out of Butch's head for the next next half an hour. Wild stuff. Wow, and, uh, that was to Trinidad. Now that that was just in Trinidad. That, many a time they'd grab, they'd lean in, they'd come and push the um, security away and try to grab my foot when I'm laying on the mat, and even when I'm getting beaten on, and grab my foot and try to drag me out. And I bring the other foot back and kick him in the head to get free. Well, we had Butcher and me had super heat. We did we did promos on graves and stuff like. You know what I mean, and put and change the headstone, put a new face on, and, and put the the people, the very religious Puerto Rico, or any of those Caribbean, not the Caribbean, not Caribbean, any of those Spanish countries like Central America, yes. Panama, Venezuela, very, very. Um, yeah, uh, what, what what's that form of Catholicism? There's like a Santa. It's a very no, no, no. I'm saying the the, the type of uh, Christianity that they followed was very strict. Oh, satanic, very satanic. Some of them they got all that everywhere you go. They got the candles and that they believe in witches and all that sort of stuff. You're either a Catholic, you're either a strong Roman Catholic, or you're with the devil. You know what I mean? They well, believe in all that stuff and they and all that, and they've got. They've got witch doctors, what they call them, something else, and that, that a lot of people go and see. You know what I mean? Did you ever fear for your life? Did you ever feel like your life might be in danger getting all that heat? Hey, we were young, full of piss and cum. <laughs> and I know what else he was full of. <laughs> and it's not shit. Um, I, I might get Luke upset because I know he's with, you know, all these wrestlers and stories of the drugs and this and that. You know, as a young man... Things happen. I remember you telling me a story working in Puerto Rico, and there was a. This is in the eighties, uh, and there was a fan. It was a fan. It was a fan, but uh, the guy uh, used to have the Peruvian marching powder, 
and he would come to your apartment before like a ah, it was a the one and only notorious on blank Angus on Fernandes Angus um I can't remember the name the yeah, other street the main the main street uh, where all the all the nightlife was there was gays drag queens trannies everything and down the far end was the the Black Angus now the manager of the Black Angus was a Big wrestling fan. He used to bring to us. He used to bring his kids to my home on Saturday afternoon, you know. And that, and um, they had a, we, we we lived in an apartment on the beach, all fences, gated, security, and all that sort of stuff. But he used to come over and go to the pool. The kids used to come, and that they loved the wrestlers. And we'd always have another. We'd always butcher me. We'd always have another wrestler there. Just you know, right. Yeah, and uh, anyhow, he'd take the kids to wrestling, and after that he would take them home and then go to his place that he managed, and it was the Black Angus. What was going down, on there? Down, downstairs, it was Woman of the World. Okay. Oh, wow. Upstairs, upstairs there was rooms. Oh, <laughs> it was like a hotel. Downstairs was the bar, there was Woman of the World, upstairs. There was all the rooms and that, and um, that's where the fun and games were. So we did get the sex tour. It's just the it's just the yeah, Puerto Rico. Just, just I don't want to get George. People are still alive. People are still alive, <laughs> and I don't want to get into it. Right. Right. But um, they used to say to me, "Oh, can you get us the Black Angus after the show?" You know what I mean? <laughs> Either you you could go. Coming back from the arena from Bayamon or um, or from Carguas, you could come on to uh, Fernandez Orcas. That's the name of the street. Okay. All, all the drag queens, they would at the lights, they would walk across a road and show you everything oh on the street, the street. And that this is this is early 80s and that. And you could pick up someone and throw the it was a new guy in town. If you wanted to get a release, you pick him up. Throw him in the back, drive him around for half an hour, twenty minutes, and that he get his nut, drop her off, or drop him off, whatever it was, and then carry on for the rest of the night. So he's already had a release. <laughs> most, of the, most of the guys from the states uh, wanted to, that's what they like to do, and then they were happy. Little did they know they were uh, with someone with a, that wore a frock but had a cock. Yeah, you sound like an excellent tour guide. Like you sound like a great friend, making sure everybody was accommodated for. I was a booker. I was a booker. Ah, okay. You know, I I booked the talents in from outside. I booked for Carlos. I booked for WCW Carlos when we had Brody Hanson, um, Abdullah, and Carlos. The biggest thing we did forty thousand people, and that this was in '83. And that we did a uh, the angle in Texas. Carlos got his biggest enemy from since they opened in '75 was Abdullah the Butcher. In '83, he the, um, early early '82, late '82, early '83, um, Hanson and Brody broke his neck, and he was out for six months. And then he had to go and find somebody 
and he come to Texas. We set a good angle up, you know, where he come to Texas, and Abdullah wouldn't have nothing to do with him. He come there twice, knocked on the door. There was a houseboy answering, no go, no go. The next day he came with a briefcase and all the money, and Abby saw the and Abby hadn't seen him yet. But when the houseboy went and showed Abby the briefcase and that, or told Abby the briefcase, that's when he got Carlos as a partner. Uh, he, that's when he decided to, to partner his biggest enemy in Puerto Rico. So the fans didn't know what was going to happen between Carlos and Abby, but they were both against Hansel and Brody. And that's how we got that 40,000. We got 25,000 in Roberta Clemente. And then we got on that, on circuits, we had it in two other places on the circuit. We got 10,000 in one and the other one building and 5,000 in another on closed circuit. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I, I'm speaking with Dutch, you know, your, our, our good friend Dutch Mantel. Dutch used to tell me that in the 80s, he couldn't leave his hotel. Like, no. It, was that true, or he was just, was he just? Yeah, no. You, if you were in the 80s, he was living in Cadado early then, too. You know, Cadado. Then I moved to Isla Verde, which was more English. But the boys had a hotel down in Cadado, and that you come out of that, you couldn't go. You'd have to have breakfast in the hotel when you just move around there in the street when you're out, when you're hot. You know, when you're hot you down there. The beach, you couldn't go to the store. You couldn't do nothing. No, you had to get someone else to get all your shit. But we we lived in Isla Verde, and Butch brought his girl with him, and then she'd go shopping. Isla Verde was more tourist. Right. You know, all the condos were, were um, all the condos were time, but they call now time. Time shares. Time shares and all that stuff. And a lot of... A lot of English people there, so it was easier. And of course, where we had quite right across the road from us was Pizza City, which was open twenty four seven. And not only pizza, but they had sold all Italian food there. It was open. I know open place. You sat in the open, and that, and it was. And then we had a Ponderosa built in about eighty four. They put the first Ponderosa about a hundred yards down the road, so that was good. Pizza City was the only place where Dutch Mantel said, and I knew I knew that he said, oh, Carrie, let me buy you a slice. You, you know, Dutch, you don't want nothing for free from him. If he's offering his, uh, Dutch was tight. Dutch, Dutch was so tight uh, with his pockets, he didn't even have pockets. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he bought you a slice of pizza? Yeah, then that cost, but you know, when I used to drive him, me and Midas, Mike G, he knows my cousin, when I'd be driving Dutch, now we're talking 2000, he used to like to drive, uh, and every town we went to, Luke, every town, let's say we were going to Humacau, he knew about five minutes before we got to the building. I know the story, I can guess. Hey, hey, Kiri, can you do me a favor? I want to get a cup of coffee. See that Dunkin' Donuts up there? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Every time, every time, he'd be like, so we pull in. It's like, hey, Carrie, I only got a 20. I don't want to break it. Right? Like, here, Dutch, here. 
But uh, yeah, I, I know I was in an office with him for a year and a half, so I know all those things. I know, I know all the how he was. One thing about Dutch was he had a, he had a, he still he has a great mind for the business, just like you. Uh, do. Soap operas, there's nothing better, no one better for soap opera. You know what I mean? He, he milks it. He knows how to milk it. You know, today they want to go for ratings. WWE, if they if they want to blow off everything after every show, if they, if they go back and wait for three pay-per-views, build up, have three major angles going and blow off one every pay-per-view, but have the other one simmering and then feed them. And that Dutch was very good at the storylines and um, having it simmering and then popping it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, before we let you go, there's so much we could talk to you about. All right. I'm going I'm to spin the hands of time back because it's last stop Penn Station. There's a, you know, we jumped from Australia. We went to Montreal. Uh, we went to Stampede and Puerto Rico, and there's so much more. But I'm going to bring you back to a story that you told me when you and Butch, after Australia or during that time, you went for the first time to Thailand. Uh, we, no, Singapore first. Singapore. Singapore. Would, Singapore. Would, would you mind? Would you mind, please, telling our listeners that story? We'd appreciate it. Singapore. Butch was up in Japan. Butch actually went to Japan. It was on the first Anoki show ever. Really? Wow. As, as Tiger, Tiger Man, the Tiger Mask, the Tiger something or other. He okay. was the first time they ever used the name Tiger. And this was on uh, this was on Anoki's first show, right after his wedding. Anyhow, um, I'm in Singapore, been there a month already, or, or, or three weeks and that. And um he, Butch didn't like Japan at all. The food, the people, you know, and then I don't know. He didn't like the food over there, you know, to live and, and eat. You've got to you get used to their food or it's curry and rice every night. Right. Curry and rice. You know what I'm saying? So there's sushi and all that stuff. There's nothing like American sushi. The food is completely different. Anyhow, um, he gets down to Singapore, and uh, now he's Singapore talks English. You know, they talk um, their language. You know, Asian, but um, it's there's an English country owned by owned by Britain. And um, we're there. I've been there. I've got an apartment. I've got an apartment, four floors up, overlooking the harbour, and that with a balcony and all that sort of stuff. Anyhow. During the day, Pat Pong Road is a marketplace, like you see in movies. Guys pedaling along on three wheelers, with three wheels, with food in the basket in front, everyone screaming, like you see in the movies. You know, third world countries. Listen, I'm talking about now, this is 68 or 69. So and that, go you can go back in time and think about this how it was, and there's all that Chinese and there's, you know, those things with bamboo and the bells ringing and, right. you know, the, ringing, the chimes and all of that, and the open market, everything's open. You know what I mean? Running wild. 
at now at night. They closed down all the markets and they put covers over them. The restaurant, little open restaurants, they stay open. And that with all the market and guys put tables out. Guys that don't own restaurants or anything, but they own two or three tables. They put their tables out on the street and they have menus from all these different restaurants. Okay. And that and and they have other menus with all the goings on. All right. Oh wow. <laughs> with, with the girls, the guys, the the uh, sex shows, the do dog, the lesbian and guys, a donkey show, all those different things. Oh my goodness. And now this is now this is 1968, you know, and the guy's trying to clean out Singapore. I have long long hair on my shoulders. I couldn't get it. I had to put um gel or Vaseline on my hair and put it up, roll it up, and put a hat on to get in. If you've got long hair, you've got to stay light. You've got to be last in line. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. If you go anywhere and you've got long hair, it won't serve you until I've served everyone else. Oh, wow. Anyhow, at night, we're down on Boogie Street. And that, and um, the guy comes with the menus. We choose a bit of food. We're getting drinking that. We're sitting there. Now, this is about 12, what, 1 or 2 in the morning, 1 in the morning. The place is packed. Boogie, if you look it up, Boogie Street in Singapore and Pat Pong Road in in, in, in um, Thailand, Bangkok. In Bangkok are the notorious streets with everything. You know, there's guys walking up and down with watches all up their arms here, selling them. There's guys with trays of everything and that's selling everything. And guys with books, you know, with all the shows. And you point, put it at a girl here, and they'll point at the girl down the street. You know, they'll show you because these people, are, these girls are sitting around, they get picked up, but they're in the book. These these are the pimp, well, semi pimps. You know what I mean? So, Butch, we're, we're, we're here and he's show. We're eating. Now we've got a good buzz on. You know what I mean? And we bought, we had bought Thai stick, a league, you know, you get caught over there and get thrown in jail. But over the years, the rest of us have had found a good contact and $3. Three dollars a week, or three dollars that lasts us for a couple of weeks. Wow! Yeah, you know, and that, and this stuff you would see everything would flicker in front of you. You squeeze it, and the juice would run out. You know, Thai stick is the best, and um, the McCoy, the real McCoy, and smoke. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. THC. Oh my goodness! So we're down there, and then and they butched. Put points at one like that. Next minute, the couple that we chose come to the table and we're drinking and they're giggling and that, you know, like those Asian girls giggle and all that sort of stuff and Asian girls and butchers leaning in and little smooching and all that sort of stuff on the table. Then he goes downstairs and he grabs a packet. Okay. He he grabs. He, no, he, this wasn't the first time. He grabs the lunchbox. Oh. You know, <laughs> Big John and the two kids. Yes. Oh. Oh uh, my goodness. <laughs> he well, didn't. He got a shock, and he looked at me. Uh, another time, too, we went home. He went home, and then and um, he goes in the shower, 
and that and um and I'm and whatever and I'm in the shower and the same thing happened another time and he screams out fuck and I yell out to him, turn it around and hit it from behind. Ah. Oh no <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> That's um, it. Hey, that's what he, being in Japan for six weeks and Korea, and then come, you know, and then being young and fucking full, you know, coming that, you're coming <laughs> home, coming to land, you, you know, you hadn't, you hadn't released for so long. And you're, yeah. you know, you got to do what you got to do. And we support you what you got to do. Singapore. Yeah, that was Singapore. Well, but I got to give you this one. WWE, the guys. Before before I go, I got one one, and this was a good friend of ours. He spent years coming in and out of New Zealand in the seventies. You know, I came over here in seventy two. That's when I met him. He just got out of jail, and that, and he was working for Grand Prix. And then in WWE, I met him. He came in and out of New Zealand. We went home to do the first New Zealand taping. In 76 on the mat. Then I met him when I came back to the States, you know, with and Stuart. His name was Frenchie Marzen. Frenchie Marzen was Gino Brito's manager. You know, the artist guy, Gino Brito, Gino Bravo. Right. By the way, when I was first in Montreal, and when I said they went there, Gino Bravo, who has been in the business for a year then, he was. 20 years of age and a big strong kid. Right. Wow. So I know Dino, I know Dino, we worked with him. Dino Bravo, Gino Brito, the Italian connection. We worked with him every night. Like Vachons, we only worked with the three teams the Indians, the Indians, the Vachons, and um, and the Italians for a year and a half. Because the territory was Martin. Anyhow. Frenchie Martin used to carry around a little briefcase about this size. And, you know, in the airports in the morning, you're walking along the concourse and you're in big airports, and you know how busy those concourses are? Sure. You know what I mean? They're packed. You've been in them when they're packed. Mm -hmm. Frenchie Martin used to trip <laughs> over himself. He'd be Frenchie, always, dressed in a, always dressed in a suit. You know, like a, a dapper gentleman. And he was a big guy, 250, you know, 260. He'd trip and, it, and his briefcase would go fall open and all the toys would fall out. And these <laughs> toys like vibrators, vibrators, <laughs> butt plugs, everything. <laughs> Things you go down the your ure, urethra, you know, urethra ticklers, everything you could think of. You know, all different, the butt like this size, the one this size, the one this size. <laughs> the dildos, the, 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 uh, small, uh, the, the plastic ones, the yeah. ones with the head on it, going from all sizes. Uh, and, and, and he used to crawl around his knees, and all the people had to walk around him. And he'd say, sorry, sorry. And he'd pick a piece up and look, and then put it back in the, you know, go a certain place in the case. Because the case had a folder, yeah, yeah, a folder in the middle, and you'd clip it on it, you know, and slip into the place. Yeah. And he'd crawl around on his hands and his knees, and he'd put it on a slope, so they'd roll down the slope. Uh, <laughs> 
Fucking Frenchie. There was only one guy. Amazing. <laughs> I think Ian did that on the corner of 8th Avenue and yeah. 14th Street. 14th Street. <laughs> yeah. I was... Hey, we're barbecuing. We're barbecuing. This was short. Barbecuing one day during the day was uh, with um, JJ Dillon. He was the salad queen. And that, and cooking big steaks. And we had glass sliders here. And we're out here with a barbecue in a motel. And we called Frenchie for fucking food. Fancy is so high, he doesn't see the glass there. <laughs> and White walks right through the glass. <laughs> that amazing. I still remember that. And then I brought that up to J.J. Dillon at, at, at uh, WrestleMania. Fancy yeah. walking right through the glass. <laughs> well, Luke, thank you so much. Uh, we could go on all night, and we'd love to have you back on uh, there's so much to talk about. Oh, I've got killer, I've got a few more killer brooks, but I'll keep it for next time. Yeah, keep, keep it for I've next got time. Killer brook, and I've got the wild rides from Miami. You know, with the um, <laughs> it's summertime, the snow. Oh, it's Miami. Snows in Miami. What are you missing, talking about? Missing Tampa. Missing Tampa completely. Got a got a, a lot of few stories yet. But we'll, come, we'll wait for another time. Anything to close, Ian? No, thank you so much, Luke. It's great seeing you. I hope you've got some stuff to talk about. I hope you talk about some wrestling for a change. <laughs> we're not gonna be able to talk these stories, that's for sure. But no, we're good on there. You've got plenty, you've got so much down your sleep, Terry. That's why I said last week I had to listen. It was potato time. No, no filet mignon. Not even the, not even a skirt steak. <laughs> uh, we we got plenty for this week. Yeah. Thanks to you. We love you, Luke. You know, love you guys too, Ian. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I gotta take you out. I gotta take him out on the dirt track. Yeah. <laughs> I've already been there. That's the big surprise. I've already been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. You, you guys have a good night. Thanks for having me on your show. Love you guys. Love you oh, too. Wow. <laughs> Perfect. For listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or at laststoppennstation.com. <laughs>